You're listening to Country Life with Keith Fahey on Galway Bay FM. Good evening, I'm Keith Fahey and welcome to this week's edition of Country Life. On the show this week, we will speak to Minister Hayden on the resumption of Irish beef exports into China. Darren Carty, who works with Irish Farmers Journal, um, about s- satellite inspections and current livestock markets. And Christopher Tuffy, FBD Young Farmer of the Year. So you're all very welcome back to Country Life. Um, we're delighted to be back again this year. Um, so I'd like to wish all our uh, listeners a very happy new year. Um, so on the show, as we said, we'll have Minister Hayden, um, who will speak to us on the resumption of the Irish beef exports into China uh, due to its star- uh, short stoppage there uh, a couple of years ago. And he's going to explain that and how we got back into China. We'll speak to Darren Carty as well, uh, the journalist, obviously, from the Irish Farmers Journal on satellite inspections and the new satellites that are out there and how it was satellite inspections will uh, influence farmers this year um, and their um, inspections and payments and that so their area aids or their BPS the new BIS and the new CRIS um, so we'll, we'll talk a little about that and we'll talk about the current livestock market so Darren's going to cover a little on sheep and beef at the minute um, and then we'll speak to Christopher Tuffy who's the, we're delighted to announce the FPD Young Farmer uh, of the Year um, he, so he won that a couple of weeks ago so um, Christopher's a Sligo man so we're delighted to have him on the line also and we'll also have um some mart reports obviously a lot of the marts aren't back until this week um so we just have one or two mart reports this week so we'll have more mart reports next week also um and obviously as we as a same as every week if you have any queries or questions on any agri related topic or that uh, don't be afraid to email us on country life at galwaybfm.ie that's country life at galwaybfm.ie so just there um uh, to look at the montbellio mart sheep sale that took place on the 7th of january uh, there's a very good turnout of hoggets and Stagios, um, and this was their first sale of the year, starting for 2023. There was a good strong hoggets, um, good strong hoggets around the 50 kilo mark were making 100 euro with their weight and were in good demand. Light store hoggets uh, were a poorer trade, and Stagios were in demand. Uh, some sample prices for hoggets included 21 hoggets weighing 39 kilos sold for 100 euro, 16 winter hoggets at 53 kilos sold for 155 euro, 18 yo hoggets at 45 kilos sold for, sold for 128, 13 weather hoggets at 51 kilos sold for 152 euro there was tin weather hoggets at 52 kilos sold for 155 then onto some stag yos there was a good turnout of stag yos for the first sale of the year um, and there was good demand some sample prices for stag yos one yo at 73 kilos sold for 110 one yo weighing 98 kilos sold for 170 nine yos at 91 kilos sold for 170 eight yos at 76 kilos sold for 120 and 22 yos um, at 81 kilos sold for 120 4 euros at 86 kilos sold for 140 and there's sheep sales every Saturday at 10am gates open at 8am in the Montpellier Mart and cattle sales to resume at the end of January 2023 the phone number is 0909679660 or email mart at montpellier.com um, so also next week we will have um, Alan Dillon who is a programme coordinator in the Dairy B500 programme and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the Dairy B500 conferences that are going to be held uh, in the coming weeks.
The Chagas Dairy B500 campaign will be running two important conferences on January the 19th and January the 26th in both Clanmel and Charleville respectively. These conferences will be of interest to both dairy farmers who want to produce more saleable calves for the beef um, farmers who have uh, dairy calf to beef enterprises presentations on the performance of the dairy b500 campaign um, will also include monitor farmers and the dairy b500 uh, demonstration farm in chagas grange which will outline uh, the key management decisions um, that ensure calves perform well throughout their life and achieve a high level of profitability on farm there will be presentations and discussions from both dairy farmers outlining how they have improved the beef merit of their calves and encourage repeat business from beef uh, farmers also um, and some presentations from calf to beef farmers on what they look for when purchasing calves from dairy farms uh, a panel discussion will follow including representations uh, from Borbia, uh, Dovia Munster Bovine um, and there will also be people from ICBF there um, and they will speak on the future direction of the dairy calf to beef program in Ireland with an increasing emphasis on the need to improve the beef merit of the calves um, from the dairy herd um, to ensure that beef farmers will make a sufficient profit on those animals as well so um, more information can be found in chagas.ie uh, forward slash dairy beef con, uh, con 23 um, so that's the dairy beef 500 campaign and they're also going to discuss the commercial beef value index uh, so that's called the CBV for short commercial beef value um, and it is a tool for non-breeding beef farmers designed to give an insight into an animal's genetic merit uh, like there's a similar I suppose to the replacement and terminal indexes um, to the, the cattle um, the CBV is expressed in a euro value the higher the CBV the better um, the better gene gene genetic merit um, of the animal for beef traits there will also be within breed types and across breed star rating similar to the the replacement and the terminal indexes as well so the B cbv will enable beef farmers to make more informed decisions around their sales and purchases um so i suppose it gives them a better indication of how they think the the animal will grow and it goes and the cbv is comprised of five traits from the terminal index that are important to non-breeding beef uh, or dry stock enterprises and these five include carcass weight carcass conformation carcass fat docility and feed intake and the calving traits are not included in the cbv as they are not applicable to the farmer purchasing the animals um so there's the, it includes dairy cross to dairy dairy cross to beef um and then the so as well um, so that's the, the CBV um, so um, I suppose we'll be first up we'll be talking to uh, Minister Hayden um, so obviously we're we're delighted um, to hear that you know the Irish beef is back into the Chinese market as it reopens um, so he's going to uh, talk to us further on that as well so you know with uh, an extra 100,000 cattle killed roughly 120 uh, 20 to 30,000 extra cattle killed in 2022 versus 21 um, we we can see that you know there's a lot more cattle available uh, although they predict numbers will be slightly back this year but um minister hayden is going to discuss that with us um later on in the show um and also i suppose it's it's great for farmers as well um we'll be able to see you know a lot more live exports as well and it hopefully increase the the beef price as well or create a more stable market demand as well for those farmers um with beef at the minute we can see heifers trading at from 505 to 510 and steers back maybe 5 to 10 cent r respectively so the beef price has gone up uh, considerably in the last couple of weeks which obviously will, it needs to be um, considering a lot of the beef finishing rations are touching 460 470 a ton at the minute uh, and uh, it was 
obviously very expensive for farmers to make silage last year due to fertilizer. Um, so as part, uh, yesterday was the deadline for the sheep improvement scheme, and as part of the sheep improvement scheme, farmers must get uh, must buy one purchased. Uh, purchase one genotyped ram um, if they have less than 150 lamb or yos in their census or more or if they have more than 150 yos they must uh, purchase two genotyped rams in the duration of the scheme um, so I suppose what is a genotyped ram we've been asked in the last couple of days um, or the last couple of weeks a lot of farmers wondering sheep farmers wondering you know what is it versus a normal ram or what's the difference so I suppose when we talk about a genotyped ram it means that sheep Ireland uh, that a sheep Ireland breeder so they're obviously the, the the, the, where the ram comes from is a, a herd registered with the Sheep Ireland. Uh, the Sheep Ireland breeder with an animal and the Sheep Ireland's database has uh, ordered a tissue tag to sample the animal to so to do a DNA sample and that the sample has been taken and analysed in the lab. The process is completed uh, with the, the DNA test result is sent to the Sheep Ireland's database and the results interpreted into genomic evaluations and parentage, uh, parentage results. So same as the the, um, the suckler scheme as well I suppose just in terms of sheep. For genotyping, ear tissue tags are the simplest of all methods for collecting the DNA. It consists of taking a small punch of tissue from the ear using a specific tag tagger applicator so a, a specific tagger uh, the container into which the sample is collected contains a liquid agent to preserve the sample this is a straightforward process where the genotype must be ordered uh, through the breeder's uh, Sheep Ireland's account and once the farmer orders the genotyping, the tag will arrive within three to five working days at its postal, as the farmer's postal address, um, at which point the tissue can be taken from the ear of the animal. Special care as well should be noted, uh, should be taken to ensure that the correct animal is sampled by using, by ensuring the animal's tag number matches the genotype tag Um as well so that's obviously very important um, as this is part of the sheep improvement scheme so following the DNA collection um, it will give a guide enclosed with the DNA tags you must ensure the sheep is properly restrained only take samples from clean and uh, dry ears or so obviously no um, fecal matter or that um, disinfect the ear after sample after the sample is taken and leave the tag uh, in the ear handling of the DNA samples refrigerate samples as soon as possible uh, avoid freeze freeze thawing or of samples um, obviously as well send samples to the lab at the start um, midweek to avoid samples being stuck in the post over the weekend so it's not advisable to send them on Fridays samples can be refrigerated but um, it's recommended that the sending them immediately is better to get more accurate results than that um, genotyping animals uh, gives the breeder a lot of information, the parentage verica- verification, to, so you know exactly that the father and mother are the, are correct. And the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine approved uh, Scrapey, where the where parents have been genotyped and genomic evaluations as well. So it gives uh, breeders or purchasers even a, a better um, idea of how accurate the ram is. Um, so the lowland ram criteria for the for the sheep improvement scheme, uh, the ram must be genotyped. Uh, genomically tested with Sheep Ireland have a four or five star genomic evaluation and scrapey test of one, two or three and for the hill ram um, similar it must be genotyped with Sheep Ireland also DNA, DNA sire verified and have a scrapey test of one, two and three. Um, what are the benefits of genotyping hill rams? The media, immediate benefits are more accurate and increased information for any farmer using hill, hill rams um, it also serves as a protection against inbreeding and dilution of breed types. It gives greater confidence 
confidence to the to ram purchasers when choosing their rams but ultimately it lays the foundation for breed improvement um and the promotion for the future other immediate benefits delivered by genotyping are the scrapy genotype um status of hill rams and the inbreeding coefficient c percentage um in each ram as well so that's obviously um extremely important so um um there's also another a couple of more events coming up um, which we will speak on later and next week on the show as well. So first up this this evening we're delighted to have Minister of State for the Department of Agriculture for Food and the Marine, uh, Minister Hayden. Minister you're very welcome on to Country Life. Uh, so Minister you have uh, the responsibility for research and development farm safety and new markets and I suppose firstly uh, Minister we must send our condolences to the family of uh, the student that sadly passed away in a recent farming accident um, so I suppose Minister how can you know, maybe we ensure that uh, the farm debts are, are reduced or as close to eliminated as we can. Yeah, Keith, look, happy new year to you and your listeners. And uh, we start on a sombre note. Um, I'm, I'm aware of the local media reports of the fatality of a young farmer over in Galway at the start of this year um, on the farm. And, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious when I'm talking the statistics um, around farm safety that it doesn't put the human face when we talk about numbers because their individuals, their families and their whole communities have been left devastated by um, these tragedies. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, workplace fatalities that are uh, categorised and counted by the Health and Safety Authority, 26 people lost their lives in Irish workplace incidents last year in 2022 and 12 of those were recorded in the area of agriculture. And uh, that means uh, with the next nearest sector being construction at seven fatalities, that means that agriculture yet again is by a distance the most dangerous workplace in all of Ireland. And we say this and we bring home the point and the tragedy that happened in, in Galway at the start of this year as well just brings home to all of us that, um, you know, to identify that this is um, a very dangerous profession and to ask all farmers to try and identify the risks on their farms, um, on their individual holdings. Nobody that's ever involved in an incident and no family ever thinks it'll happen to them. Um, but unfortunately it does and probably how we really reduce the risk of this happening is to identify the risks on our farm. I'm very conscious that in a couple of weeks' time we'll be in the middle of calving season. Now is the time for farmers to look around their yards, look at their cattle handling facilities, see is there a way they can, is there small changes or modifications we can make to make the handling of cows and heifers that are calving that bit safer um, to protect ourselves. Also, you know, if it's a broken light in the yard, it might look like an innocuous thing, but that can lead to incidents happening, trips and falls and all the rest. So not put off those jobs in the long finger that need to be done. Uh, a dodgy PTO shaft, a cracked manhole cover, resolve to change them straight away. And by reducing the risk, we can reduce the near misses and reduce the amount um, of fatal and life-changing incidents that happen on our farms. And I'm determined to continue with my plan in the area of farm safety, expand our support to the farmers in the areas of mental health and well-being, um, rolling out with the new CAP is going to have a range of new training programmes and investment supports for farmers towards farm safety. And we also then have the results of the eight locally led projects that I've funded over the last couple of years that are have been in progress and that will give us a series of learning to bring back and to uh, build into future programmes around the country as well. So we have a lot of work going on in this area and we're determined to change to change um, what is has been historically very high numbers uh, on average over the last decade. We've lost 20 people a year in Irish farm farming incidents. That has reduced, but it's still too high, and we continue to work, and we will redouble our efforts to work with farmers and farm organisations in 2023 uh, to get that number lower again.
Exactly, and as you said, Minister, you know, risk assessment and calving gates, machinery, lights, you know, they're all fairly, you know, basic things in terms of, you know, preventing uh, injuries, risks or, or deaths or, or any casualties, you know, it's vitally important, as you said, whether it's a dodgy light, even on the roads, you know, as you said, we're going to be heading into a crazy few busy weeks there now uh, with calving and lambing, um, farmers not getting as much sleep, so obviously they're not as alert as they usually would be, so um, it's of vital importance, you know, that a lot of the, the dangers are, are identified now before the, the, the period gets even busier. But uh, Minister, also, we're, it was great news there to see uh, last week, um, you know, the Irish beef is, is back in, uh, is going to be exported again into China. Um, I suppose, firstly, maybe to some of our listeners, Minister, why maybe was it stopped in the first place? And, you know, what measures had to be met since to be permit, permitted back into the, the Chinese market, which is obviously a very, you know, a very lucrative market. There's obviously a lot of um, room there to expand as well, but they obviously have a lot of stringent um, guidelines and, and uh, food, health and safety regulations to be met. Yeah, they do. They, they set a very high bar for us, but it's um, a very important market for us to get back into and one we're delighted to get access back to. We've worked on this for the last two and a half years. Um, we first got access to the Chinese market for Irish beef in April 2018. And just to put in context the kind of scale and the potential that this uh, sector provides for us in, in 2019, which was our first full year of exporting Irish beef to China, those values of those Irish beef exports was 96 million euro which is half of all exports outside of um, the, the EU and the UK, which remain our two main markets. So very quickly, we built up a momentum. Um, and unfortunately, in May 2020, we had uh, an atypical, uh, a case of atypical BSE. So there's two types of BSE case that can happen. The classical BSE, which is derived from feed. Um, atypical is sporadic. It can happen. It happens in older animals and it happens very seldom, but can happen and is of no health risk. Uh, to the food chain. That animal that didn't go into the food chain. It was identified uh, through our rigorous testing and we identified it and notified the Chinese as part of our protocol with them. And that led to a suspension of the um, export of Irish beef to China. What we had hoped would be only for a short while while we conducted audits and um, satisfied the Chinese uh, that everything was in place and was right. It took longer than we liked to get re-access to the market. We had huge diplomatic efforts. I would have met the Chinese ambassador on a number of occasions. There was direct contact between the Taoiseach's office and the Premier um, in China. It was raised by Minister Coveney in his role in the Department of Foreign Affairs with his counterpart as well. And then also on the ground, our ambassador and, and the agricultural, uh, the embassy team, including our agricultural attaché in Beijing, uh, did a huge amount of work on this as well. So it's the result of a lot of diplomatic efforts to get this uh, market back. And our Borbia team in Shanghai are ready to hit the ground running now in terms of promotion and working with industry and with with companies to you know re-establish those relationships that they have maintained during the last two and a half years to get that momentum back and to make sure we get a volume of beef into the Chinese market. It's it's a good time in terms of being going back into China because there's favourable market conditions there uh, with the reopening of their society after three years of COVID. Um, the food service sector is going to be reopening in, in China as well. And that's the area that, you know, the majority um, and most commonly placed, um, the majority of the Irish beef went the last time. So our timing is good to be getting back in at this time. 
Um, and, you know, we'll have a trade mission later in the year, myself, Minister McConnell-Logue and our team, our market access team here in Ireland, as well as our officials out in China on the ground. Um, we'll work might and main to work with industry to make sure that we grow these opportunities that ultimately will benefit Irish beef farmers uh, and see a better price for their income. Because the more markets we can access, uh, the more options it gives uh, of places uh, for our world-class grass-fed Irish beef to go to. And just in relation to markets, you know, along with China, I suppose, can we see any more markets opening up for Irish produce for 2023? We see obviously seen a, a good lift there in beef price in the last number of weeks, but, you know, the, the lamb price is probably a euro back on, on the same period last year. Just wondering, like, is there any other markets there that are available or, you know, that we could access uh, in the year going forward, Minister? Yeah, so there's a, a lot of markets that we're working on um in my role as responsibility for new market development, I focus on the new markets, getting into places like China where we haven't been for some time um, and, and establishing those new markets. But also we, we'd never take for granted the markets we're in. Uh, so just before Christmas, I was in um, uh, in France, in Paris at the uh, um, the Seal Food Fair. I was going to say Anuga, that's in Cologne, which was the year previous to that. But um, the Seal Food Fair is the biggest food fair in the world, 400,000 people over four days and Borvia and Irish companies had a very strong presence there of Irish agricultural food and drink produce. And, um, you know, we, we look at new markets in the area of beef. Um, South Korea is a very big potential for us. We're making good progress in that process. But these, process, uh, these processes of getting market access is slow, um, and you have to work with the competent authority in those countries. We we're very committed to it. We put a full-time Irish official out in uh, South Korea, to work through that process and that agricultural attaché is doing great work and I hope to visit South Korea this year as well. So we have a number of markets, whether it's beef, lamb, um, pig, pig meat uh, and dairy produce and as well as minding the markets we have and then obviously we see the huge exponential growth in the area of Irish whiskey and other beverages that um, also take some uh, some considerable work. So we work on it from a distance but then we'll have a number of trade missions throughout the year uh, to grow that potential and to get that market those markets that can ultimately improve the price for our farmers because by having access to more markets, it gives better options um, for that. And then different outlets for different cuts of meat as well, obviously, is, is a key component there as well. Uh, also, Minister, you know, you have a responsibility there for research and development also. What work is being done in relation to this area at present? Well, yeah, like we have a fund in the Department of Agriculture that's about €20 million Euro a year. And this is about identifying the challenges that face Irish farmers and our food production system now and what are the solutions we need in the coming years and investing in that research and innovation to deliver those. So that €20 million Euro largely has been spent on projects around the environment in, and the environmental impact of our food production systems because, as farmers will know, that's the big challenge that's facing us largely is produce, continuing to produce the world-class, top-quality food and drink that we do produce in Ireland but doing it with a lower emission profile and having less of a negative impact on our biodiversity, on our water quality, um, and all those challenges. And, you know, um, that's where a lot of that research and innovation is going. And when we talk about the targets that we have to meet, very ambitious targets that our farmers have to meet in reducing the emission profile from our food production system between now and 2030 in particular, um, you know, some of those percentages of that 25% reduction of emissions is going to be delivered with future technology that we're investing in research in now. And that's not kicking the can down the road. That's not just taking a lazy option out because it takes four, five, six, seven years um, after investing in research for that to 
develop itself into new mainstream activities that farmers um, adopt that makes a very big difference. And if I give a good tangible example of that is the majority of funding that was spent by the Department of Agriculture in the area of research and innovation in multi-species wards um, happened back in 2014 and 2015. And we now see in 2022 into 2023, the widespread adoption of those practices by a lot more farmers now. That's the kind of time it takes, but it will have a very material difference on our farms. It will reduce farmers' dependency on artificial fertilizer, which we now know with the conflict in Ukraine um, is a very significant input cost for our farmers, um, but also it's better for our environment and helps us meet those targets. So that's what we continue to invest in, in research and innovation, finding solutions um, to problems that are down the line for farmers. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an area we maybe don't talk about enough in terms of the work of the Department of Agriculture, but it's a really important area and I'm, I'm very um, honoured to have responsibility for that sector. Minister Hayden, thanks very much for coming on Country Life. Country Life, brought to you by Your Credit Union. Renovate. Your credit union is the foundation to your home renovations. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply. So next up we have Christopher Tuffy who won the FBD Young Farmer of the Year. Firstly, Christopher, you're very welcome on to Country Life. We're delighted to have you and congratulations on your fantastic achievement. Um, so I suppose, um, Christopher, you might tell us maybe a little bit about yourself maybe and uh, where you got your love for farming. Yeah, look, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm, uh, I suppose, to, just to maybe start out, maybe at the start, I'm, uh, I was I'm, I was born in, in a dairy, onto a dairy farm here in, in West Ligo. I'm, I'm from Innescrone, so most people probably know it as, as a seaside village there. More more famous for tourism than its farming, but we're uh, two miles from Innescrone town, and uh, my father was making 60 pedigree Holsteins here when, when we were growing up. Uh, he We were always... Um, he, my father was always milking cows, but he only had 20 acres around the parlour, and, and a lot of the ground was. Um, we used to walk the cows on side roads to uh, to rented blocks, and um, it was great. We, it was a perfect one man show when we, when we were growing up. Um, I don't believe in certain in in uh, in OH and um, done the, there was in done green certain Mount Bellew in '09, and then done the the. Um, Advanced Dairy Herd Management in Dalton in 2010, where I went to New Zealand on my placement. And when I came back, I was just, there was nothing else in my head but to go milking cows. And unfortunately, when I came home, I suppose, was, I always had kind of had it as in my, my late teens. I always knew that the farm at home was never going to be big enough uh, for two of us. And I always envisaged me maybe either going away and managing or go back to New Zealand or something. But I suppose we were lucky enough then a uh, block of land came up for lease in 2011 in, in North Sligo and we, we have 150 acres with an old beef shed. It was ran down and it was rough but we decided to take on the lease and we started milking down there in 2012. We received it, put in roadways, converted the the, uh, the shed that was there uh, in put cubicles into it and built a milking parlour and we moved the cows from we got up to 90 cows at home and we moved the 90 cows down in April of 20 of 2012 started milking there with 90 cows and started rearing the heifers and calves in the whole farm so the system we run today now is we're up to 155 cows in Sligo and dad takes the calves off me at about three weeks old and all bull calves and beef calves are sold off farm and uh I get the, the heifer calves back in, the, the bean calf heifers back. So it's a very streamlined system. I run the grazing platform and dad runs the young stock farm. 
Um, it's a system that is working very well for us and uh, I was very lucky to get the opportunity to, to take on that lease and, and uh, develop the business to where it is today. Very good, very good, very interesting as well. You know, you you, you did your course, we'll say, you got your international experience um, and, you know, a lot of, I suppose, a lot of farmers, you know, they inherited the home farm or whatever. So, you know, you took a bit of a chance and in fairness and, uh you know, it's great to see that it's worked out and it's obviously worked out very well when you won the Young Farmer of the Year. So fair play to you. Yeah, well, I, I suppose the one thing I don't, well, we'd always say is like only for quarters was going. At the time, we'd never have, have gone for it. So we're, um, we're quite lucky that uh, we got the opportunity and I suppose when you get them, those type of opportunities, you have to take them. And I was 21 when we went into that farm in, in 2012 or when we started milking and I suppose it was a bit of an adventure for me, but it was... Uh, it was maybe I was very lucky I got good backing from my father who who's uh, who's who's fantastic support. Very good, very good. And just in relation to, we'll say, you know, the the key key performance indicators are that for your farm, you know, you have milk solids uh, per hectare, milk solids per cow. Um, you know, what are your targets now? We'll say for the year ahead, or you know, what have what did they look at? We'll say in terms of the competition, or you know, in terms of your six week calving interval and your your milk solids. What is the targets for your farm now for twenty twenty three? Well, like. I suppose the um, the main two KPI or the, the the main KPIs that, that drive our system is our kilos of milk solids, our six week calf and and our our grass growth and um, we do probably just do it around we'll do five hundred kilos of milk solids in twenty twenty two maybe somewhere between four ninety five and five hundred um, will will be in that ballpark. Uh, our fat and protein will be our, our fat will be about four eighty one. I was making up there we were making up there today and and our protein will be close to three eighty five. So they they were the drivers of our, our, our system over the last ten years. As I said, my father had Holstein cows. We decided about um maybe maybe twelve years ago, maybe or that that there weren't maybe the, the cow of the future. Every farm is different. We we decided to change towards more crossbred high EBI type cow. So we we've, we've bred for for high fat and protein and efficient kilos of milk solids, um, going away from more the volume based system where we were before A plus B minus C came in. And was that a big change? We'll say, Christopher. You know, obviously, you've nearly gone from one extreme. We'll say to the other. You know, in a lot of cases where you'd see maybe pedigree Holstein herds, you know, they wouldn't go near or they mightn't have much yeah, interest. Yeah, well, look at I was lucky before when I when I uh, my father had gone down the high EBI route and, and at the time there wasn't really high EBI. The bulls had very modest EBIs, but they were higher than what was there back in in the late noughties. He had started moving away from the extreme Holsteins. He, he wanted to breed a more fertile cow, and obviously A plus B minus C as the payment system had come in at the time, which was paying higher solids than just I was penalising on volume. So it was it was something we started looking at. And I suppose when I came home and we moved to the new block, we just we ramped up the crossbreed, and I would have used a lot of jersey for a few years to to maybe breed a bit of hybrid vigor into the herd to give us a real boost on on uh, on percentages of protein in, in particular, particular uh, protein and fat. So um, it was a big jump. But my, my father was as again he, he he was a very open-minded man, and he he had no issue with it. Um, I suppose we're, we've kind of moved uh, we've, we've moved back towards more of a black and white herd cow now. The fact that we can pick black and white genetics at high high fat and protein, and now we're, ju- we're we're not looking to make as big a jump as we did a few years ago. 
So um, I suppose we were, I mean, with the first year I went to Sligo, we'd have only done maybe 343 protein. We'd have been on or below the co-op average where now we're in the top 50 of the co-op now on, on milk price. Um, I suppose just going back to the KPIs again, the six-week calving is hugely important to us. We're coming up towards calving at the moment now and we'll have well over 90% of the hurdle calf in, in the first six weeks, which for any spring calving system is vital to get as many cows calved on the ground as quick as possible. And um, a dry cow is making you no money, of course. And um, our, our calving interval is very good. It's, it's in around 370 days, 365, 370 days. So our, our cows don't don't slip time. Um, it, it, we have bred very vigorously for um, for fertility too over the years. And, and the other big KPI on grass growth is we're growing about 14 and a half, 14, 14.8 tonne of grass has grown in, in 21. I'd say it was around the same, slightly less last year in 22. And... Um, you know, we've we've increased that every year over the years by by um, focusing on soil fertility and and weekly grass budgets. Um, grass is the main main food or it's the main food in the cow's diet. So we're 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 very focused on grassland management and trying to get the the best um, best grass always into the cows. Uh, so that that's hugely important to us too. Yeah, and uh, very good, very good. So obviously, you know, you're hitting all the KPIs with grass and six-week calving interval and milk solids as well. Obviously, very good over the four ninety-five. Um, you know, farm sustainability. I suppose sustainability is probably a massive buzzword at the moment, and I'm sure it was a, probably a, a word that came up quite a lot when you were going for the the farmer of the year. You know, in relation to the sustainability of your own farm, we'll say, how are you becoming more um, sustainable on your own farm in relation to maybe fertilizers and that and EBI or how. How are you finding, um, you know, that you, your own farm is improving in terms of sustainability? Well, and the first thing I'd say is anything we've done for sustainability and environmental, uh, or, or, or from an environmental point of view, uh, hasn't cost us any any money so far. It's, it's made our system better. I suppose the big thing is we, we've switched away from um, to all protected urea. We we don't use any um, any any can or any of our straight nitrogen now is protected urea. We've um, we use all low emission slurry spread. And you, you mentioned EBI. I heard is 195 EBI, and, and at the course there before Christmas, the carbon index came out, and we're in the top 10 percent for that. We're I think it was 15 or 16 we are for carbon index on on the EBI. Which is very good. Um, it's pr- probably something that we'll um, we'll have to keep an eye on the next few years. But they, all the research tells us that the the higher EBI your cow is, is more efficient and uh, has a lower carbon footprint. So 100 over 100 will be close to 200 EBI this year when the 20 when the when the heifers calve in. Um, of course, the big one is is clover, and and we have 15 percent of the farm in grass clover this year. And uh, the big plan for 23 is is to receive a good proportion of our grazing block and trying to get as high a percentage into clover as as we can. Um, you know, the research has shown that, it take, you know, you, you can be down to under 100 ni- units of nitrogen on, on a clover sward against 250 maybe on, on a non-clover sward. So it's a huge financial savings to care and grass growth. And the other big thing we're doing is, is red clover into, um, we start putting red clover into the, grazing block so we had to receive a, a grazing block this year or, I'm sorry a silage block not a grazing block a silage block on, on one of the out farms so we put red clover into that and um, 
so far we've been very, very impressed with that. So um, we'll, we'll see how that performs again this year and we might put more of our um, silage ground into red clover. And how many cuts did you get with the red clover? What got, time of the year? We got three. It went in the last day of May. So okay. our last day of April, apologies. It was in the last day of April. It was just a simple burn it off, um, two runs of the power, or two, two runs of the disc, two runs of the power hour and roll and seed and roll again and I got two bags of tin tin twenty and then all I got after that was O seven thirty. Two bags O seven thirty and we got five bales the first cut and we took two more cuts and it would have got about two thousand gallons of slurry and two bags of O seven thirty after every cut and we got about five to six bales off each of the, the previous two cuts. It is its first year, like again it's after the two bags of tin tin twenty you got on the reseed. It got um, it got no more nitrogen. Um, it, it's it's I think it's a nearly a fifty percent clover, and the rest of it is is a hybrid grass in the mix. So look, if we're trying it out and see how it goes, like the the nitrogen, the fertilizer saving is is quite uh, is it's there for all to see. It's just whether we can um, can grow the same amount of silage as what we were growing before. Yeah, so possibly you could have maybe even got a fourth cut, we'll say, like yeah, this year now, if you had got in. Okay, okay, yeah, very we, good. We got the wanes on in November, we got a dry week, and um, I think there were about 10 days, there was about 35 wanes on it, and, and we we're looking off, it's a dry field, and didn't do any damage, so very good. Um, I, I'd, have, I'd be happy enough now, it'll, it'll perform very well again in 23, and if it does, we'll, we'll look for more of our silage ground into it. Okay. And what was involved in the process of becoming um, Farmer of the Year, Christopher? Yeah, well, look at it. It was, uh, I suppose I entered online. Some people get nominated and I, I went for it before in 2012 and I made the top six and I was only 21. And I decided to um, decided to give it another, uh, another go. Um, so I entered. Um, the first interview was online. Um, and then 14 people were picked to do a, a semi-final interview in Port Leash the week before the final. So all 14 uh, semi-finalists was interviewed. There was two panels. And then all the semi-finalists got brought down to Cork on the last, was, I think it was the 29th of November was the day of the final. And uh, the top six was picked. And um, yeah, so the top six get interviewed by a panel of five. A pretty, it's about 45, 50 minute interview. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. I suppose it's 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 a tough interview. Um, I actually enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a good experience to even question about what you're doing, and it makes you think about your farm and and and, and how you're doing things. And I suppose I was just lucky enough to come out on top. It's it's always a competitive, and uh, new farm year is always very competitive. So I was delighted to uh, to win it. So. Um, I was delighted to be the first one ever from Sligo too to win it so it was, it was it was great Very good I think you're being a little bit modest there now saying you were lucky to win it but uh, no congrats and we're delighted for you as well so Christopher Duffy uh, FBD Young Farmer of the Year thanks a million for coming on Country Life and, and uh, heartiest congratulations to you it's great to see a, a fellow West of Ireland man winning the prize so thanks very much Christopher Thanks very much for having me Country Life brought to you by Your Credit Union Cultivate providing farm-friendly finance across the west of Ireland. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply.
So next up, we are delighted to have Darren Carty, who's with the Irish Farmers Journal. Darren, you're very welcome onto Country Life on Galway Bay FM. Uh, we're delighted to have you on. So I suppose firstly, Darren, uh, you had the front page there um, covering um, the, the the major topic of satellite inspections and how are they going to intensify and how they're going to intensify in 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 the year going forward. You know, firstly, I suppose, Darren, for any of our listeners maybe that mightn't be familiar with satellite um, inspections and that, can you explain maybe what they're used for, maybe and, and and how it's done and why it's done. Yep. So uh, essentially, Keith, there's there's four say polar orbs and satellites. They're very high powered satellites. So two of the satellites are called Copernicus Sentinel One, and two are called Copernicus Sentinel Two. Now that's quite a mouthful. So apologies for that. Uh, the way they work, uh, the Sentinel One satellites. Uh, they transmit, uh, say, a microwave beam down to the land underneath. That sends a mirror image back to the satellite, and that's how they develop, say, a picture of what is happening below. Ireland is going to be more reliant on this satellite or these two satellites because they're not impaired by cloud cover. The Sentinel-2 satellites, uh, they take pictures, the pictures of the sky by the department is maybe not that high resolution uh, or that they can be crude in what they cover. But uh, I suppose the beauty about this is that that's, uh, say, satellites are the, what, what can compensate for the poor quality is that they can take an awful lot of images in a short space of time. And that sort of compensates to an extent. Now, this satellite or the Sentinel-2 satellites don't offer the same uh, potential as Central Central One because they have a lot of cloud cover, and as your listeners in Galway will readily identify after the last week of weather we have, you're not going to see much with cloud cover this weather. Uh, but the two of them together will get a good picture of what's happening underneath. Now, there's been a massive reaction to this story, Keith. There's been a lot of farmers talking about whether it's a invasion of data privacy, where is information going to be stored, what it's going to be used for all sorts of things and as farmers wondering I suppose as well is how often is this information collected, who's looking at the information, all those type of things have been brought up in the last week. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a big issue at the moment as well. I, uh, funnily enough, a farmer rang me the other day, and he reckoned they'd be able to count the cattle for him uh, in in the field. So he reckons the it could be handy. But anyway, um, I suppose Darren, we we've seen you know a positive start to the beef trade. You know, in the last week or so, uh, beef prices are up a lot. We've seen heifers are at around the five ten or that with fairly good bonuses for the likes of Hereford and Angus's. But you know, winter finishers obviously need this. In when you look at meal prices, or you know, between four fifty and 480 depending on the spec for a good beef finishing note and you know silage was so expensive to make last year what is the beef forecast uh, looking like I suppose and, and the sheep forecast do we see the, the lamb is back you know a good bit on, on this time last year like so what are the forecasts for the beef and lamb going forward maybe Darren yeah two, two very contrasting pictures uh, as you say the beef price has pushed on even say moving into next week, there's uh, bullocks moving at a base of five ten, heifers maybe up to five twenty. Now they're said the bigger operators that have a bit more negotiating power, flat price deals for her for the Angus cattle anywhere between five forty and five sixty a kilo, flat price deals for over thirty months uh, old cattle gone above five euros a kilo now. So very, Everton very positive on that, and that's I suppose demand driven in the supplies of beef. Uh, globally are tight at the moment but markets are also very buoyant 
markets are very buoyant in Britain, they're buoyant right across uh, Europe, and that is driving demand here. But globally, there's also tight supplies. Uh, I know you had Minister Hayden on as well. They, they said opening of the Chinese market it will also boost uh, demand in, in the coming weeks, hopefully. But even, say, leaving that aside, uh, all all things would point to that the trade will be vibrant, that the, there will be, I suppose, maybe tight supplies on the back of, as you say, higher finishing costs. And that's something that is badly needed. That we can talk about beef prices or where they're gone or where they're going. Every penny of that is needed at the moment because, as you say, finishing costs are at, uh, are at record levels. Uh, the outlook looks good. The outlooks for cows in particular looks good. And, and all of these, as we head into... Uh, as we head into January, January is always a good month. So it is like you're looking at P grading cows there, P plus three grading cows, four twenty to four thirty, four grades four forty, four fifty, R grades around four seventy mark on average, and U grades anywhere from four eighty to four ninety. And even top prices for U grades with specialist finishers touching on five euros a kilo. And there's a message there for anyone that scores with them good quality cows that doesn't maybe have the negotiating power with factories is that the mark trade is vibrant for those we're seeing i suppose maybe online trade and one of the big benefits is in the cow trade at the moment and that has really really uh i suppose been driven home in recent weeks since march have, have resumed trade and it's just cows are on fire and some of the prices i mentioned there uh in the ring equivalent prices are higher than that uh, i'd say supplies are going to stay tight uh in the foreseeable heat, uh, and unfortunately, though it's it's a it's a hugely contrasting picture on the sheep side of things. Uh, we've seen say prices uh, reduced by ten cent a kilo there over the Christmas period, or say I suppose maybe into the New Year period. Another ten cent uh, at the start of this week, and all the, all the, the talk is that prices maybe will come back closer to a base of six euros a kilo as the week has progressed. Well, that's a real heavy blow to, win, to specialist finishers, to producers even finishing the last of their lands, because uh, it has really knocked, I suppose, what was probably subdued confidence or subdued uh, uh, optimism in the trade before that. Prices are running about, were running 50 cent, 50 cent to 60 cent a kilo behind this time last year, or 12 to 15 euros per head in the land. And this latest sort of price cut is going to bring prices probably 80 cent a kilo uh, behind this time last year. Now, for to go back to this time, say next week, uh, the corresponding week in 2022, we would have seen pressure on the trade in the middle of January as well in 2022. Prices reduced by 30 to 50 cent over a 10-day period. And that pressure, we're seeing that now at the moment. Uh, what's being blamed for it is higher supplies of British lamb in the European market, possibly a more subdued trade in January, which is often the case on the on the sheep side after pretty good sales over the Christmas period. And one of the things we're also hearing more of is that there is uh, increased availability of New Zealand lamb on the market. That is stemming in part from uh, reduced volumes of New Zealand lamb going to China due to very... Uh, restrictive or I suppose very very serious uh, COVID related uh, restrictions over there now that market seems to be opening up again and we badly need uh, for New Zealand sheep meat to start I suppose maybe moving higher volumes into the Chinese market again to have any sort of hope of 
creating more demand in the market here. Or to look at the number side of things as well, 2022, the first half of 2022, was a real busy period for sheep troopers. The number of hoggets killed was up about 207,000 heads. Uh, taking all things equal, I'd say that we're possibly that there's a similar number of sheep in the system at the start of this year, given that the land kill was also back 40,000 heads uh, in the second half of the year last year. So not a, not a, not a say, a rosy picture on the sheep side at the moment. And badly what's needed is a bit of increased demand and uh, particularly across European markets that performed very well for much of the start of the year. But we really hope to say that this dip in, in January follows sort of last year's uh, trend and it is only a dip and quickly recovers. Darren Carty from the Irish Farmers Journal, thanks very much for coming on Country Life. That's it this week from Country Life. We hope you enjoyed the show and if there are any queries about this week's topics or if you'd like a topic covered on the show, please don't hesitate to email us on our email address at countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. That's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie and I'll get back to you. So until next Tuesday at 7pm, have a lovely evening and next up is Melodies with Doc followed by The Nightfly with Donald Mahan.